This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, behind the plan to cut American drug costs through the wholesale import of Canadian drugs. We in Canada didn't cause that problem. We can't fix it for you. It's a made-in-America problem, and it's a made-in-America solution. This is not a good idea, and it's not how you treat a good neighbor. How Canada may keep us from getting their drugs when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. This week on Viewpoints. It's a little mind-boggling that this is still a trend worldwide. Why are millions of women still whitening their skin? Then... So they were just like, here, here, just take some medication and you'll feel better, which I did not. One soldier's story of being raped while abroad and how the military responded. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station and subscribe and listen to shows anytime on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Surveys show that Americans are upset about the high cost of prescription medications. It can be especially frustrating if you look at other countries whose residents pay a total cost that's half to a third what we pay. For some drugs, it's even worse. The cost of a 10-day supply of insulin in the United States may be $300, while for the same thing, Canadians pay just 10 that's because around the world, other governments set prices for drugs. Significantly, it has to do with a Canadian government agency that regulates the maximum price of a prescription drug. That's John Adams, board chairman of the Best Medicines Coalition, a group of 28 patient advocacy organizations in Canada. We have a mixed market for the pricing of prescription drugs. We have government programs and we have private insurance. And then we have people who pay cash out of pocket. And the government drug programs, in addition to having the price ceiling, the price controls maximum, they are also now negotiating together to do their own version of bulk purchasing from drug manufacturers. And so they have using their power and as a monopoly of government buyers they've been driving down the price well below the legal maximum. We could do something like that in the United States, but we don't. Justin Mendoza is State Partnerships Manager for the consumer health advocacy group Families USA. The larger problem here comes down to Congress's inability to act over a number of decades at this point. Fifteen years ago, the U.S. signed Medicare Part D and created a prescription drug benefit, and even in that provision decided that Medicare and the U.S. government could not negotiate prescription drug prices within the program, despite the fact that that program is the largest purchaser of prescription drugs in the entire world. That policy hasn't changed, yet finding a way to drive down prescription drug prices was a presidential campaign promise in 2016. So in late July, the administration announced a plan that Mendoza says could help. It would allow importation of cheaper drugs from Canada on a massive scale. The proposal on importation is based on a 2003 law that was passed to really take on 
prescription drug importation in times of shortages and other extenuating circumstances. And the proposal is set up to allow licensed wholesalers of prescription drugs to purchase safe and regulated prescription drugs from pharmaceutical distributors and wholesalers in Canada, bring them into the U.S., and then put them into the U.S. supply chain. Now, the proposal, which is really a proposal to make a proposal, makes it clear that they have to be compliant with the statute, so FDA's safety and quality standards, and also it specifies only those who are licensed wholesalers can actually use this pathway. Drug importation from Canada has been possible on an individual basis for the last 15 years, and millions of Americans have gone across the border to get cheaper medications for themselves. But the importation plan envisioned now by the White House is much different and much bigger. Our latest estimates actually show that around 4 million Americans imported drugs from Canada in the past year when their prescription costs were too high here. But that all being said, this proposal actually uses an entirely different mechanism outlined in the same law. It's based on the same law. But in this mechanism, it would actually be all about purchasing those drugs in bulk on behalf of a state or another large entity wholesaler, and then infusing them into the current system. So people would still get their prescription drugs from the same folks that they get them from now. They'd be prescribed by the same doctors. It would just be potentially lower cost. It's important to distinguish between personal imports, which have been both ways, from Canada to the United States and from the United States to Canada for decades. Distinguish personal imports from bulk imports. And that's the new thing from the White House about the idea of bulk imports, where the state of Florida, for example, or a large pharmacy chain, Walgreens, or a middleman company, distributor company, would come up to Canada and buy drugs in bulk and ship them across the border. The personal imports, one of the limiting factors is that you need a prescription to buy a drug in Canada you need a prescription from a Canadian physician. Another limiting factor? The U.S. has always claimed that Canadian drugs might not be safe enough for mass import, even though the governments looked the other way at individuals bringing drugs over the border. Every White House and every Secretary of Health and Human Services has said, we cannot guarantee that those drugs will be safe. And so we're against that. Secretary Azar, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, changed that. He did a 180. I believe, on direction from the White House, and said we're prepared to contemplate and actually proposed a new rule, two different pathways where states or corporations, businesses, could, wholesalers or pharmacies could bring in drugs from Canada in bulk. And that's a game changer. And it could upset the friendly relationship Americans and Canadians have when it comes to individual imports of medications. Adams says it works both ways. Not only do Americans go to Canada to get cheaper drugs, Canadians come here for scarce ones. I have done that. I have a son with a rare genetic condition. There was a new drug that was available in the United States. It was not available in Canada. My son actually was in a clinical trial in Chicago. It worked really, really well for him. So for two years, I went down to Chicago every 90 days to bring back a 90-day supply for him. 20% of the drugs that are available in the United States are not available in Canada. So maintaining that personal import provision in good shape is really important for the health and well-being of Americans and of Canadians.
Families USA likes the importation idea. It's pretty clear that little is likely to change in terms of American drug pricing. So Mendoza says it's a good workaround. This proposal is something that we approach with a support for the broad concept. We like the idea of giving Americans relief from high drug prices, and this is one possible way to do so in the short term. However, Importation isn't the long-term solution. Importation doesn't address the underlying pricing mechanisms or the patents or the monopolies that government grants to pharmaceutical companies that allow them to price their drugs so high to begin with. It doesn't address annual price increases, and it doesn't really address even just passing on savings to consumers necessarily. So this doesn't take on the issue from every angle that's needed to truly reform the system, but it does allow states the opportunity through this pathway to create some leverage over pharmaceutical companies to be able to say, hey, if you're going to continue breaking the bank when we buy prescription drugs here in the U.S., we'll just import them from Canada. But it's not like imports can happen just like that. Under the best of circumstances, Mendoza says it'll take time. This importation piece overall, it's going to take, at minimum, well over a year from the point where we see a final rule to actually be implemented and put out and put together. So we wouldn't actually be seeing any importation programs starting in this country at the state level until at least 2021. In terms of how likely we are to get there, a lot of factors could change that. One of those factors, perhaps the most important one, is whether Canada is willing to let us have their drugs. But Adams says the prevailing sentiment north of the border is not so fast. Keep your hands off our prescription drugs, thank you very much. We already have a significant shortage of drugs in Canada. Matter of fact, every time a pharmacist calls a supplier to reorder a drug, one time out of three, the supplier says, I haven't got anything for you. Uh, Pharmacists in Canada are already spending 20% of their time doing workarounds for existing drug shortages. Please do not make it worse. You've got some issues in the United States. One of those issues is the high price of some drugs. We in Canada didn't cause that problem. We can't fix it for you. It's a made-in-America problem, and it needs a made-in-America solution. And let's be practical here. Canada could give all of its prescription drugs to America, and because our population is less than one-tenth of the U.S. population, it would not do anything for 90% of the American people. And Canadians would have no medicines whatsoever. So this is not a good idea, and it's not how you treat a good neighbor. Some Canadian experts say the administration plan is presumptuous at best. Others say that America is trying to steal Canadian drugs. However, Adams says the shortage in Canada is real, even before Americans reach across the border in large numbers. The newest shortages appear to be for some cancer drugs, but it's also involved epilepsy. It has involved people with high blood pressure. I'm one of those people. The frontline therapy, the first medication I'm on, is no longer available in Canada. So we've had to go to a second-line therapy for that. And there are 5 million people in Canada who are being treated for high blood pressure, hypertension. Canada can easily shut down the importation idea if it wants to. It doesn't even take parliamentary action, though that's one way a ban could be implemented. The quickest route would be for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government to put prescription drugs on what's called the export control list. 
Nothing that's on that list can be exported without permission. And Adams says when he was in on a meeting of major stakeholders and the Minister of Health last month, nobody objected. There is significant support. This was brought up by actually the head, uh, the chief executive officer of the industry association that represents the brand name pharmaceuticals. She specifically brought this up. And although the patient reps and the pharmacy industry reps and the Canadian Medical Association, the Canadian Pharmacists Association, everybody was there. Nobody had a problem with that. And we all unanimously, we didn't say specifically what action the government of Canada should take, but we said Canadians need and deserve the federal government to stand up and be clear and specific and in public in saying this shall not happen. Canada could also slap tariffs on prescription drugs to the U.S., eliminating the price advantage. But Adams says they don't want to encourage a trade war, which these days seems all too easy to trigger. So while mass importation of Canadian drugs may seem like an easy solution to America's high prescription drug prices, it's not something Canada sounds like they want. And without their participation, it's a proposal that's essentially dead on arrival. I'm Reed Pence. Long work hours, complex family schedules, and competing demands for our time can make eating healthfully seem like a real challenge. Keeping staples on hand from which to assemble snacks and meals can be a real time saver, according to registered dietitian Courtney Romano, health advisor for the California Table Grape Commission. Healthy eating is always easier with foods that are convenient and able to work in multiple ways. Grapes from California are a great example of a fresh staple. Not only are they ripe and ready to eat when you buy them, they require no peeling or chopping, and they serve as both a healthy snack on their own, as well as a versatile ingredient in smoothies, salads, and more. Grapes from California are a natural source of antioxidants and other polyphenols, which research suggests contribute to heart health. For more information on new ways to use this healthy fruit, visit grapesfromcalifornia.com. Glaucoma is an eye disease that affects more than 3 million Americans. It can cause permanent vision loss, and there is currently no cure. Glaucoma Research Foundation recently commissioned a survey to learn more about patients' experiences with the disease. 64% of those surveyed said glaucoma impacts their lives daily. 76% said they are very concerned about losing their vision. And fewer than half are very satisfied with the eye drops they currently use to manage glaucoma. Dr. Andrew Ewa, Glaucoma Research Foundation Board Chair. The information, services, and treatments available to glaucoma patients have increased significantly in recent years, but we know that patients still struggle to manage the disease. This survey helped us understand patients' current experiences so that we can identify new ways to support them. The National Glaucoma Impact Survey was supported by Airy Pharmaceuticals. For more information, visit glaucoma.org. That's glaucoma.org. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. 
Call right now to donate your car. And as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please support our show by subscribing, sharing it with a friend, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and RadioHealthJournal.net. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Health Journal. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. Average crime is reported to the FBI is higher during hotter summers. We keep seeing this correlation, this ugly correlation, that heat and violence go hand in hand. Will a warmer world mean more violence? Then nail-biting. When does it go beyond just a bad habit? It's kind of crazy what nail-biting can lead to. I mean, the list goes on. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. Radio Health Journal.